Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in a rather empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Julianne Clemens, founding director of Inex Design, an award-winning team of architects, interior designers, and landscape designers based in Devon. Julianne, Hello. Hi. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well address the elephant in the room. Uh, how has your business been affected by COVID-19? So, um, well, I mean, as you imagine, we've shut the offices down. Um, everybody is working from home. Um, in, our, in, in our business, we are um, quite lucky in that we can all sort of remote work. Mm. Um, we've set up the um, Microsoft team. So we're all having great fun at the moment, kind of talking to each other from our houses <laughs> with our webcams, being nosy about where people are sat. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit novel at the minute, but it's it's interesting in that I'm kind of looking at it and thinking, do you know what, this really works. And in, so long as the business keeps coming in and we've still got workflow, um, I might actually be open to doing this a little bit more frequently. We have, we have one member of staff who lives quite far away and, during the summer months when the traffic's quite bad in Devon, we she she quite often works from home because right. otherwise she'd spend hours sat in the car. So we let her do that. But actually, I'm thinking, yeah, we could expand this a little bit. Well, also, I think a lot of businesses will find this. Uh, and also, uh, it would take a bit of overhead away from them, not having to rent a premises or not having to rent as large of a premises. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm definitely saving money on tea and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, people find it funny for the first time they have to pay for it themselves, uh, True. <laughs> which is the, which is the uh, double edge of the sword. Um, yeah. well, let's get on to the subject of leadership, which is, which is why we've asked you here today. Um, I always like to start off this conversation by asking a very, very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Trust, I suppose somebody who you mm-hmm. can trust that's going to put you in the right direction I suppose mm-hmm. um, you need to know that the person that is leading your team is reliable and trustworthy and you know that they're that they're moving everybody together as a collective I suppose and how do you get your employees to trust you God that's a difficult question I suppose just trying to be consistent and I think I'm I think I'm a good and fair and reasonable boss that they that they know that I'm kind of not just here for the company, although the company is very important, but I'm also here for them and we're almost we've built a team here that's a bit like a family, I suppose. You know, we spend a lot of time together so mm. you know, it's it's as much about them as it is about in exercise. I invest my time in them and, and they invest their time, you know, they, they, they invest their time back in the company. I suppose it's, it's important to me. And um, someone would have invested their time in you at some point in your career. Let's go back to the beginning uh, when you first entered the world of work. Were there any particular individuals who uh, showed a special interest in you and kind of formed you the way that you are today? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess kind of most of the places that I've worked over the years, I've kind of felt um, 
nurtured, I suppose, is the right way of looking at it, kind Mm -hmm. of nurtured and brought along in my professional development um, as an architect. The architectural world is very much like that. You sort of study at university and then you come out and you kind of really do learn your trade on the job. And if you've got a good mentor in your office, they, they they teach you things. And, you know, I've worked at varying sizes of practice and there's always not in every job, if I'm being entirely honest, but in in most of the places I've worked, there's always been somebody who, you know, has, has been really helpful, and you, you kind of you know that that person's going to help you learn learn your trade, um, and and support you in the way that you would want to be supported. Um, yeah, that's sort of that's kind of how architecture works, really. Hmm. So within uh, Enex Design, do you have a formal mentorship scheme uh, in place or is it just taking people under the wind as and why? Um, well, because we're quite a small team, I'm always sort of mentoring everybody, I'd like to think. Um, again, you know, it's about professional development and people will come to you at a certain stage of their career. And I think, I, you know, it's very rare that you'll meet somebody in this particular industry that isn't hungry to kind of make their way further up the career path and you can't um you know if you if you if you don't if you don't invest time into people that way then they'll you know they'll they'll become fed up in their job and likely just move on somewhere else so you you know you mm. you want to kind of pass that wisdom on to other people it's um it's the native yeah well i suppose it's the nature of how i am as much as the industry is Let's talk a little bit about uh, your uh, career itself. Uh, would you be willing to talk about uh, a project that you feel passionate about, uh, the project that you're the most proud of? Oh, God, that's a really hard one, actually, because every project has got a different, <laughs> yes. a different, a different aspect to it that is really um, interesting. I mean, it's like picking a favorite child. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, actually, that's a really good analogy. Um, I think the way the way that I describe being an architect to people is it's a little bit like being a an actor, and you every job you do you have to kind of almost learn because we don't because I don't kind of specialise in you know this is the style of architecture that we do and we only do this kind of architecture we don't do anything else so, you know because we'll do any project so long as that project is interesting and we like the client and we mm. want to do it we end up kind of learning about all sorts of different things so in my career I've designed um, Buckfast Tonic Winery so I had to learn about you know how um, they mix you know how they mix the, 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 the tonic that they make and you know learning about um uh, you know the whole process that goes into into making buckfast tonic wine, which I would never have known about before. And so it's not only just kind of about learning about how you put buildings together, but also the process. Or hmm. I designed um, Holsworthy Cattle Market and became a little bit of an expert in you know all things to do with with cattle and <laughs> you know how how um, cows see the world and how you would make a an animal move from one point to another in order to to have them under the, the least amount of um, distress. And it's, you know, you wouldn't think that an architect would have to learn all of those things, but you actually do because you can't do a good job at designing somebody's building without without learning the process in which, you know, that building gets used. And it's the same with, it's the same with houses. It's the same with people's homes. We spend a lot of time in, in our company mm. learning about our clients and understanding 
um, how they're going to use their houses. So you have to learn their personalities and you have to learn the things that they like and the things that they don't like, not just I want a four bedroom house and I you know, want a big open plan kitchen. It's kind of, you know, do you like to cook? How many? It's you have to kind of really, really pick into the right. into the detail that they don't realise. Sorry, I think I sidestepped that question really well. <laughs> well, I think I think you made a you made an excellent answer there, and I would recommend if you'd like to run for parliament, uh, there are plenty of seats available. Um, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. Uh, but before I let you go, um, COVID nineteen notwithstanding, what does the next uh, twelve months have in store? for Enex Design? Well, you know, we've got some really great projects on the go at the moment and um, hopefully all being all being well, there'll be some more on, on the horizon. We're excited about what the future holds and get this current blip out of the way and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be we'll be back in the office carrying on our, our, our daily business or not, as the case may be. We may just go remote. We might just carry on being all virtual. <laughs> Well, it's, it's been fantastic to talk to you and uh, I wish you and the whole team at InX Design the best of health and the best of luck in the coming months. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope to have you back on the program at some point when all this is finished uh, for a bit of a debrief. Uh, Julianne, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That was Julianne Clemens, founding director of InX Design. And now if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky 
when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life 
they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think mm. i was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. 
um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a... a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... 
it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah the, the answer is straightforward the answer is yes um, good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think 
looking at that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we're successful, because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is team. The word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.